True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Arena Holdings and its affiliates. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm Nicole Engelbrecht and you're listening to a Spotlight Minisode in which I discuss cases that are currently in the media and related topics. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank our new Patreon supporters for the week. A huge thank you goes out to Jody Acorn, Carissa, and Vili Diavanaka for your support on Patreon. Thank you so much, everyone. Your support really does make a huge difference. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or PayPal, I'll leave a link in the show notes. As you all know by now, my first book, Samurai Sword Murder, is out in bookshops. It's also available for purchase on Amazon, and the audiobook will be out soon too. If you're based in Pretoria, I'm going to be at Exclusive Books Brooklyn Mall on the 19th of November at 4pm. I'll be in conversation with Dr. Gerard Labaskachny, and we'll be discussing the Samurai Sword Murder and all things true crime. I'd love to see you there. And it's on a Saturday, so you can make an outing of it and not have to worry about timing and rushing about. Please RSVP to events at exclusivebooks.co.za to reserve your seats. The following episode may contain sensitive material, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counselling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. There have definitely been a few interesting, strange and tragic cases in the media recently, and I've selected a few to chat about today. The first case I want to talk about I've actually mentioned in a few episodes before. In fact, this offender has kind of been a recurring theme throughout the years in the podcast, and thankfully... We won't have to talk about him anymore until possibly I cover his crimes in a full episode one day. The first time I mentioned this offender was in episode 5, the disappearance of Amakle Tibete. Amakle was nine years old when she was abducted near her home in Sakane in 2019. Amakle has still not been found, but the offender in question was mentioned during that episode. When Amakle first went missing, her friends were shown an identikit of a serial rapist who'd been terrorising the Ikuruleni area. For a long time, at least in the public opinion, the man was believed to have been linked to Amakle's disappearance, but the facts didn't really line up. The offender did target girls as young as nine, but his M.O. didn't match up with the way Amakle disappeared. The offender was also not known to abduct his victims in a way that made them permanently disappear. For another two years, this offender's identikit continued to be circulated, and he continued to commit crimes. Then, in March 2021, pictures were circulated of a man who had been arrested and was believed to be the Kuruleni rapist. At the time, the SAPS warned people not to spread the picture on social media as the offender had not appeared in court. 
I spoke about that on the podcast too, and the dangers of using social media to essentially run a trial by public opinion. It soon emerged that police did believe the offender they'd arrested that night was the Akuraleni serial offender. It also came to light that the man had attempted to flee when police had tried to arrest him and police had been forced to shoot him to detain him. He was transported to hospital, but he would end up having his leg amputated as a result of that shooting. After his arrest and first court appearance, the suspect was identified as Nkosinati Pakati. The 32-year-old man's DNA was taken and linked to 60 of the cases against him. Similar fact evidence and witness testimony linked him to another 30 rapes, and Pakati would eventually admit to having raped 92 victims in an almost decade-long series that had spanned from 2012 to his arrest in 2021. Pakati was initially facing 203 charges, but prosecutors would agree to drop 55 of the more minor charges when the man agreed to plead guilty to all the rape and related charges. His sentencing hearing has been scheduled for the 8th of December, but it seems clear that he will receive multiple life sentences for his crimes. To my knowledge, Pakati is South Africa's most prolific serial rapist, with the longest period of activity, at least the one that we know of. And I think his arrest needs to start a process of questioning how this man got away with this for so long. 92 victims. Please take a moment to picture how many women and children that is. And he was also found guilty of having forced male teenagers and children to assault their friends and family members. He lived in the same area he offended in for almost a decade. How? How did he get away with this? I'll keep an eye on this for sentencing and hopefully cover it in a full episode with more information on exactly how he managed to stay active for so long in the future. The next case I wanted to discuss actually did not happen in South Africa, but the alleged offender is South African. At 6.45am on the 3rd of November, police in Yugar, Queensland, Australia, were called to the home of Reynard Borsch and Naomi Kondax. The young couple's seven-month-old son was not breathing and paramedics immediately recognised that efforts to resuscitate the tiny infant would be futile. He was declared dead on the scene, and paramedics immediately summoned police. When they arrived, they found 33-year-old South African-born Reynard Borsch sitting on the couch with his partner and the mother of his son, German-born Naomi Kondax. The couple were clasping one another's hands and seemed to be praying, their lips moving in a whispered chant. Investigators would later learn that this is what the couple had been doing after their son had been seriously injured. They had prayed that he would recover. 
this prayer session had continued for at least a day, because the couple would later admit that their son had been dead for more than 24 hours before they had actually called paramedics. While it's not uncommon for paramedics to be called to a scene where a young baby has stopped breathing, for the most part it will be as a result of a terrible accident, a fall, choking or drowning. In very small babies, it may be as the result of sudden infant death syndrome. Very rarely would paramedics be faced with the situation they found at the home in Yugar. But the minute they saw the baby's body, they knew something terrible had happened there. While the details of the injuries to the couple's baby are perhaps thankfully not in the public domain at this point, within a few short hours of police arriving, both Reynard Bosch and Naomi Kondax were charged with murder and torture. Several articles state, quote, The police alleged Bosch used an unidentified instrument to torture the infant for most of his life from 11 April until 2 November. Seasoned police officers who attended the scene described it as one of the worst they had seen in their careers. Bosch appears to have lived in Pretoria until he immigrated to Australia a woman who was in a relationship with him until 2019, told journalists that her relationship with the man was extremely traumatizing to her and that she had to undergo therapy after eventually breaking up with him. Although the woman did not elaborate on the type of trauma she'd endured during the relationship, she said that she would have been able to lay criminal charges against him but felt too afraid to do so when their relationship ended. It's unclear whether Bosch and Kondax were married or when they met, but there is a 10-year age difference between the two. While Bosch was in Australia, he'd worked as a care worker for disabled children whose families were unable to care for them. It's also become apparent that the religious beliefs of the pair will form part of the investigation – although how this may have played into the crime is not apparent at this point. A friend of the couple, as well as the child's grandfather, have expressed deep shock and sadness at the child's death, and a GoFundMe has been started to pay for a funeral for the child. I'll definitely keep my eye on this one too, despite it being in a different country, and keep you updated. Recently, a 31-year-old woman was found guilty and sentenced for murdering her grandmother and committing fraud after the woman's death. On the 19th of December 2019, Rachel Shabalala reported her grandmother, Nomsa, missing at a police station in Soweto. A missing persons investigation was launched, and police soon noticed that Nomsa's SASA pension and ATM cards were being used at regular intervals. The transactions were tracked, and the person using the cards was identified as Rachel Shabalala, Nomsa's granddaughter. Rachel was arrested on suspicion of being involved in her grandmother's disappearance in September 2020, 
She remained in custody while police attempted to build a notoriously difficult no-body murder case against her, and it seemed clear to them that Nomsa was no longer alive. At her advanced age, and with how fragile she'd been before her disappearance, and considering she clearly did not have access to her cards, which gave her her only source of income, police were certain that she hadn't simply left of her own accord. In June 2021, though, a breakthrough happened, when a tenant who was cleaning out the house that Rachel and her grandmother had occupied moved a large steel dustbin in the yard and discovered what appeared to be human remains. Police were called and the remains were confirmed by DNA to belong to Nomsa Shabalala. Upon hearing that her grandmother's remains had been found, Rachel confessed that she had killed the woman during an argument. Damage was found on Nomsa's skull, but it did not appear to have been life-ending, and Rachel confirmed that she had struck her grandmother on the head with a calabash and then strangled her to death. She had then hidden the woman's remains underneath the bin and set about using her pension and other income for herself until she was arrested. Rachel was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. The judge found no mitigating circumstances in the case that warranted a reduced sentence and felt that Rachel could have gotten her grandmother help after striking her on the head, but had instead decided to strangle her and then hide her remains and commit fraud. The fact that the older woman was frail and vulnerable and relied on Rachel for care were all aggravating circumstances, the judge said, and they found that the woman's murder was possibly premeditated and for financial gain. The last case I wanted to chat about in this week's minisode is one you'd expect to see on on a Netflix special. In 1999, Robin Smith was living in Boxburg with his wife Alice when he was sadly killed in a car accident. The grieving widow Alice was paid out 1.7 million rand from Robin's life insurance by Old Mutual and decided to move to Neisner to start afresh. Sad story, right? Right. Except, it wasn't what it seemed on the surface. This month, acting on a tip-off they'd received in 2020, Hawke's officials descended on the home of Alice Smith in Neisner. There, they found a man who was living under the name Chris Borshoff, the identity of Alice's deceased father. Police were able to identify that the man's true identity was Robin Smith. In 2020, Old Mutual received a tip-off from an unidentified source, letting them know that in 1999, they had paid out a fraudulent claim in the death of Robin Smith. The man is alleged to have faked his own death in a car accident, and then, after being paid out the life insurance, he and his wife settled in Neisner, where they'd been living for 23 years. The couple were arrested and charged with multiple counts of fraud, as well as being in possession of unlicensed firearms, 
which were found during the raid on their home. They're being transferred to Kaoting to stand trial there for the fraud charges. Now, although this is already a pretty interesting case, I have questions. So many questions. The first was actually raised by a friend of the show, Zibeth Hansen, on social media. In South African law, murder, rape and treason charges do not prescribe, meaning that no matter when the crime was committed, a person can be charged and stand trial for a crime at any point, as long as they're alive. But those are the only three crimes that do not prescribe. Fraud charges prescribe after 20 years. Robin Smith allegedly committed this crime 23 years ago. So how is the National Prosecuting Authority legally able to charge him after the prescription period has expired? For the Hawks to have actioned an arrest warrant, they must at some point have consulted the NPA to ensure they have a case. So it's going to be really interesting to see exactly how this plays out in court and how the NPA is going to get around this. The other interesting thing is that this tip came into Old Mutual in 2020, exactly 20 years after the crime was committed. Coincidence? Maybe. But as I've said before, if there's anything I've learned during this podcast, it's that there are very few true coincidences. My other questions relate to how this crime was committed. How was the death faked? Was there a body in the car? And if so, whose body was it? We haven't heard about any murder charges, so how exactly was Robin Smith declared dead? I would be surprised if Old Mutual had paid out without a body, and simply on the basis of the accident having been so bad, perhaps there was a fire involved, that the body was claimed to have been completely destroyed. At this point, police have said that it's unknown whether any of their other family members were involved or had knowledge of Robin being alive. So, only time will tell. And I can guarantee you, I will be keeping a close eye on this one. And that is your Spotlight Minisode for the week. If you'd like to hear more victim-focused true crime content, please subscribe to True Crime South Africa on the platform you're using to listen right now. If you're looking for something still related to real-life stories, but often with a more positive slant, you can check out my new podcast series, I Lived Through This. You can follow both podcasts on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, thank you for your support, and I'll chat to you soon.